0: Hello, and welcome to episode 28 of Linux After Dark. I'm Joe. I'm Chris. I'm Carrie. And I'm Dalton. Welcome back, chaps. So today, I want to talk about lifeboats, metaphorical ones. And I want to ask the question, is FOSS the ultimate lifeboat? So by this, I mean, for example, in your job, you might have the lifeboat of a backup job or a backup career in my case, even. I know that if this podcasting thing goes down the toilet, I can always go back to the old thing and I actually saw a job available that pays a lot more than this, believe me, that I could go and do like tomorrow. But uh, don't worry, I'm going to keep doing this because I like working from home. But I'm talking about in tech here as a lifeboat. If things go completely wrong with some sort of tech stack, can you
1: always just fall back on FOSS as your lifeboat? So I think for me, I've done this recently inside work. I've got a MacBook Pro for work, and for whatever reason, I've had all sorts of hardware issues with it. I've had all sorts of issues with the corporate-provided macOS image. And yeah, for me, my lifeboat was there's a corporate Ubuntu image that I can put on a BYOD machine. So I flashed that on there, and I've been happily doing my work in Ubuntu for several weeks now. So for me, that piece of FOSS was the lifeboat that saved me from this crash-happy, awful Mac.
2: It's interesting. It depends on which area we're talking about. But the thing that I really like, I actually bought a computer this week that was very cheap because the seller had put it on with a BSOD because the, the boot sector was gone in Windows and it just wouldn't boot. The person obviously just assumed the hardware was broken and sold it for almost nothing. It's fine. And the first thing I did was pull out a live Linux distro to do hardware diagnostics, check. The hard drive's completely healthy. It's just the operating system is is broken. And I found when I used to do my residential IT support job, trying to get a Windows machine that's like that into some kind of environment where you can fix it is a lot harder if you didn't have FOSS. And that's where I would fall back to all the time to bring it up quickly. Even a broken installation of linux you have options like Crout and stuff like that i found that getting to troubleshooting is much quicker and it, it would always be where i fall back to now obviously the person i'm giving that computer back to is not going to want to run linux but i just couldn't get the machine working and it's really important to have that lifeboat when you're in that situation i think
0: Yeah, I found that as well. I did a little bit of residential IT support, not as much as you, but the odd bit here and there. And yeah, you get a broken, in quotes, Windows machine. And the first thing you do is boot Linux on it just to check, is the hardware actually working?
2: The thing that would make me laugh as well is I would have to have the encryption talk because they'd be like, oh, you know, there's a password on there. And I'd be like, I don't care. And I'd mount their their operating system partition <laughs> and bring up all their files. And they'd be like, How are you doing that? How are you doing that? I'd be like, right. Now you need to understand that the password you put in has absolutely no bearing on me getting in or out of the computer, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's funny.
3: I've actually had the opposite experience and then the opposite opposite experience in the course of a month. So, start a new job Yay, congratulations, whatever I was getting signed into everything And on my phone It just wouldn't sign in To the company accounts And so I kept looking around And uh, this was on lineage OS With Google Apps installed And it turns out that there was an error In the Google Apps logs Saying basically like No, you don't have device management set up correctly We we can't let you log in, Haas So from there, I tried reinstalling stuff and everything and just didn't really get anywhere. So I ended up using a lifeboat of a stock Android phone for the first time in five years, six years. I thought, man, this is great. You know, I've got all these Google apps. I've got these like conveniences of normal people life. Now the phone listens to songs around you. And, like, tells you what's playing without sending information to the internet? That one's weird. Anyway, novelties, really. And then, and then, my home ISP cutout last week. It turns out that Google has allowed, I guess, T-Mobile to put something in their firmware that just breaks tethering somehow. What? Uh. So, IPv6 stuff half worked, IPv4 stuff didn't work unless it met some sort of requirement that no one knows about. And I've looked on this on the internet, and people are like, yeah, tethering, T-Mobile, that that stuff's broken. So I wasn't able to get into, like, the company VPN to do work using tethering on my phone. Uh, And I didn't really want to work an extra day, so I was trying to figure out how can I do this so that I can actually work today. As it turns out, the solution was install Lineage OS on my Pixel 3 again, and put the SIM in there. And all the tethering just worked. IPv4, IPv6, whatever. So I am now back on Lineage OS on the Pixel 3 without Google Apps and just signed into company accounts where I could, like DAVX5 and stuff with app passwords. It's good enough.
2: That's the thing, isn't it? It flips because my wife works in cinema and we often get sent screeners. And she got sent a screener from a film festival. and. I have a a Linux box hooked up to the TV, and often it's easier than using a Fire Stick is what I usually use. But if it's a a link in a browser that's password protected, you boot up a desktop machine, load a web browser, put it in. This platform would not run anything except Windows in Edge, I think, or even maybe IE, but that was it. (laughs) The DRM was this very, very small company that had done it, and that was it. Whatever I tried to do, I tried changing the user agent string. I tried all this stuff. And in the end, I just booted into Windows. I just did what they wanted me to do. And it would play. And you sometimes get backed into a corner like that, where you're like, this just works because this is the lowest common denominator that they've aimed for with the design of this. And this is what you have to do and it's easier and it it drives my wife mad because i spent far too long trying i was like there must be a way i can get this to work (laughs) on linux there (laughs) must be a way i'm not giving up and in the end you just have to go no there there is no one who has tested this outside of that single testing that they've done i had exactly the same experience with the channel 5
0: player i think it was when that was the only way to watch World's Strongest Man, which you have to do at Christmas if you are my age and grow up in the UK. (laughs) It's the law, you have to watch it. And uh, because I don't have a TV, the only way to watch it is uh, via catch-up services. And the Channel 5 player just wouldn't work. I don't know what it was. This was several years ago. It works fine now, I think, in Linux. But um, my only choice was to just boot into Windows and connect it to the network reluctantly. And uh,
1: then it just worked fine. And I have the same issue every day with Exchange. Say the company I work for uses Exchange for email. And whatever you do, it just does not work well in Thunderbird or Evolution or whatever. The best way to use Exchange, for me at least on my work Ubuntu machine, is to remote desktop into a Windows machine running Outlook. Because there is always something that is just broken in whatever other FOSS client that I use. Can you not just use the web client in Firefox? I can do 99% of stuff with the web client, but it's clunky and I can't schedule meetings properly and everything else. So, for that stuff, I still end up remote desktoping into a Windows box with Outlook client on.
0: Yeah, I've been forced to use some Microsoft services. And uh, Teams, for example, just doesn't work in Firefox. I mean, you can have an audio voice call, but you can't have video, so you need to use Chrome for that. I didn't try Chromium because I just it was like the meeting had started, so I thought, right, let's quickly just get Chrome going. But that's an example of where proprietary software, the proprietary standard, whatever that happens to be, is actually your lifeboat.
2: What's really interesting for me is I... Do play video games, but I don't play modern AAA games. I feel like my taste is frozen in time, (laughs) and I often play like quite old games, mostly because I've got quite weak hardware as well. But what's really interesting is if you go back, a game will have come out, and at the time it would strictly have only run on Windows, and the equivalent Ubuntu version for the year of release, you would have a dreadful time running it. But it starts to come full circle. And there are some games that you go to run on Windows 10 or 11, and it's a bit of a nightmare. And I know that Windows is generally fairly good if you dump an executable file at it. It will try and run it the best it can. And that's where, these days, Linux starts to come in really handy because you can do all sorts of compatibility layers and environments. And with things like Proton and environment variables for Proton, you can actually get these games to run in a much more effective fashion on this year's version of your Linux distribution compared to this year's version of Windows. So it's like a long journey where you wouldn't have had a hope of running it when it was released or for a few years afterwards. But now sometimes it's the most effective way to run this old Windows game is using Wine or Proton or a combination of those things to get it to run.
3: Yeah, no, I've had some games like like Magicka which is like a 2011 game now. Uh, I guess it was then too. <laughs> and just some artsy fartsy things that were developed in Unity, you know, some old version of Unity, like five or six, and just never got an update. And now they don't run on Windows, but they run just fine under Proton. That is absolutely a thing.
2: Yeah, that's what I like about being able to switch up environments with a lot more versatility, I think. And it's kind of leeching now into modern games, I think, because of stuff like the Steam Deck and everything. Those things that would be in place to work around getting older games running are now much more quick to be brought up to speed for a game that has come out because it's expected, because there's a hopefully ever-increasing audience for it. I feel like it kind of goes
0: both ways. And the ultimate lifeboat is to just have all the platforms, (laughs) to have a Mac, a Windows machine, and a Linux machine, an iPad or an iPhone, as well as an Android phone or tablet. If you've just got all the platforms, then
2: you're going to find a solution for whatever problem you have. I totally agree. It's like having a Swiss army knife of computers. It's so handy. I, I recently just sold my only native Mac OS machine because I used to have it for my business because you know, you can mount Apple file systems on Linux, but it's far easier to have a natively booting machine sometimes. And I think you said, Joe, when you're messing around with the Asahi mm. and you backed yourself into a corner, the most effective way to fix it was with another Mac.
0: Yeah, which I had to go and buy, which has actually turned out to be a really nice Linux machine. I use that as my media desktop now
2: running <laughs> Ubuntu. <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah, You, you, you know, my wife goes mad. I've got stacks of computers everywhere, all over the house. But that versatility, because it really depends on what, you need to do and i would hate to think i would be stuck with any one of those things whether it's trying to watch that film with my wife and not being able to because it's like well we we only run linux i don't have any windows machines in the house at all but conversely having those machines that are broken booting into windows and not being able to pull out a live usb and and do some very quick diagnostics on it
0: yeah i think that If you forced me to only pick one platform, it would be Linux and it would be free software because I feel like you can do more stuff with that. You are more limited by the proprietary platforms. And yeah, there are some limits to free software platforms, which mean that you miss out on some things like watching Strongman or whatever. But I could have probably run Windows in a VM maybe, probably made it work and just about watchable i don't know but i like having all the options but you i think you could take most of them away from me apart from linux and i would just about be okay
3: i think so too i'm having the same thing with my transition back to lineage OS without google apps yeah there are some things that i miss but i prefer having the versatility of this phone actually working when things hit the fan to having the conveniences of all the modern Google stuff.
1: Yeah, and I think it's the same for me in my switch back to the Linux desktop on my work machine. It was nice having the Mac and it was nice having the seamless integration with AirPods and my phone and everything else. But ultimately, I know with the EliteBook I've got with Ubuntu on that it will boot and it will just run and it will be the same as it was yesterday and no one will have screwed with it.
3: Joe, can you fade up the Linux Luddites theme on this one? (laughs) (laughs) We tried all the new things and decided that the old stuff was better instead.
0: Yeah, we tried all the proprietary stuff and decided that the free software was better.
3: And also (laughs) that you should have a stack of laptops.
0: Definitely. Yeah, you should definitely have a stack of laptops and a huge, well, at least one, let's face it, box of cables. Never, ever throw it out. No matter how many times you move, don't throw it out.
2: I have a head... Sports bag, you know the type you take for an eleven aside football games. Kits full what? of cables.
1: <laughs> yeah, and I've got an entire tall chest of drawers that sits behind me, and each drawer is absolutely cram packed with cables. Oh. The issue is though that I never know what cable is in what drawer, and ultimately yeah. Amazon Prime comes to the rescue every time. <laughs>
2: yeah, that's the thing. Or I will have got rid of a cable. Like I remember distinctly the the best example I have of this. I had an IDE to USB enclosure. And I had it up until about two or three years ago. And I thought, I looked at it and I was like, I have not used this for ages. What computer doesn't have- This
3: does not spark joy.
2: Yeah, there's no machines without SATA. Lo and behold, I decided to get rid of it. And I got a data recovery job from a machine (laughs) that had been sat in someone's house, not powered on for about seven years and was way, way older than that. And uh, I I was like, it didn't power on. I opened the side and it was literally like the interior of a pillow of dust just <laughs> <to> fell out. <laughs> and I, I unplugged it and I looked at it I was like, it's IDE, for fuck's sake. <laughs> I just got rid of the only way I can get it. I managed to get a hold of an IDE to USB adapter from Amazon Prime and it still worked. And it had no bad sectors or anything. I was like, I can't believe this. <laughs> like... <laughs>
3: there you go. You know, our conclusion last time was also half a stack of laptops.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, that's our official policy on this show. And when you get rid of them, you end up having to buy one to replace them, like you did with your Mac Mini Joe, or I did with this HP laptop when I suddenly found myself in hot water with no x86
3: machine. Mm, Exactly.
2: There's like a finite number that you have to maintain
3: the whole time. (laughs) You need a constant number of laptops in your life. (laughs) And you've got to
1: cycle them out so that they're actually usable when you need a machine. (laughs) Yeah, that's the
0: thing. But then, I don't know, I've got this old 32-bit ones that I know are just useless and never going to be good for anything. But then... I don't know. I just know that
1: the second I get rid of them, (laughs) there'll be something I want to do with them. This is the reason I've about three old Pentium M Thinkpads in a drawer.
3: I didn't choose the tech enthusiast life. The tech enthusiast life shows me. It's very true.
2: I know. I know I'm going to end up buying another Mac at some point because now I don't have one. Even though this one (laughs) sat in a drawer unused for like 12 months, it's going to happen. Mm.
1: (laughs) And the other thing I've learned is that Joe will just enable me to hang on to things because the second I was about to get rid of that Pentium 3 machine, we had our low-budget hardware challenge. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. That's
0: it. Right, well, we'd better get out of here then. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, but in the meantime, do let us know whether FOSS is your ultimate lifeboat, you can email us, show at linuxafterdark.net. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Chris. I've
1: been Gary.
3: Join us for our next episode, having a stack of laptops. (laughs) See
1: you later.